Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. Hey, welcome back to one of the final few episodes left in uh, 2023 for the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. Uh, welcome, everybody, if you are joining us here on LinkedIn Live. If not, if you're listening to this back, thanks for your time and attention. It's Mitch Robbins. I am the host and founder and managing director over at the Anthony Michael Group Research Firm, uh, serving uh, the MedTech industry, uh, especially as it relates to regulatory quality and in clinical needs, both from a talent building perspective and also a career perspective. I'm joined by my good friends, Nick Swag, a talent acquisition leader and professional in his own right, as well as Shandon Hayes. You guys are, uh, this is not your first rodeo within the TA space. And so we really appreciate you being here, Nick. You're smiling and laughing, and uh, that's probably for good reason, man. We were joking last week how we've both been in this for a while, but you've got me beat by a few years there. Yeah, don't you be quoting years again. Well, we did that last <laughs> year <laughs> or last week. Shannon, it's good to have you back. We've been out for a few weeks uh, together, but uh, the gang is back together. And today, guys, we're going to be digging in and talking about an awesome topic, thanks to Nick, which is job requirements. Should we adhere to them or should we ignore them? From And what I'm referring to is from a Canada standpoint, when you see a job description and it's got all these requirements, should that deter you from applying if you don't have the requirements or should you kind of ignore that and move forward and see what happens? And really interesting topic with, I think, hopefully a lot of controversy and we're going to dig in. But guys, if you are here joining us live, uh, it just popped up on my phone. And so I'm going to follow the feed. And uh, if you're here, give a little wave or say hello. Let us know that you're here not only is it great to hear from you directly, but it helped the LinkedIn algorithm be able to show this to other colleagues of yours in the industry who might find this valuable as well. But guys, let's jump right in, okay? So job requirements, you know, part of the reason we're talking about this is because I was explaining some experience I've had this week where our team is recruiting for a role and all walks of life have sent emails and sent resumes and told us their whole story about how the degree that they just received is applicable to the X amount of years of relevant hands-on experience that is actually required for the role or how they're coming from one industry, but it's really applicable to why they're qualified for the role that we are recruiting for. And it got me thinking, it's like one of the biggest frustrations that we hear from the candidate marketplace in general is I'm applying to all these jobs and I don't get any feedback. I don't hear any response. I can't even get an interview. What am I doing wrong? And so let me just leave it there and, and have you guys take it away as far as, what do you think? We're talking about job requirements. Ignore them or adhere to them. Shannon, kick us off. Oh, goodness. We'll see if your thoughts match mine. Right? This is this is always the fun, like, matching game if, if Nick and I are matching and our thoughts are not. So there's a lot of advice going around on LinkedIn about this topic. And there's kind of two schools of thought. There is the, well, if you meet 60 or 
80% apply. And then there's the other side, which is a little bit more along the compliance side, especially for those companies that are governed, you know, and need to kind of follow the rules with the OFCCP, right? Which means that we need to hire people that meet the minimum job requirements. So if you don't meet them, even if you meet 80% of them, if you don't meet the required requirements, then you don't move forward. So that's always the, you know, the big debate, right, between all these different sides. I tend to lean more on the, you know, let's follow the rules. I'm a little bit more risk averse in that regard. But then again, I also really try to make sure that we have crystal clear requirements whenever I'm working with a hiring manager so that it's very, very clear. We have a clear picture. What does somebody need walking in the door? What is you know, nice to have? And, you know, what can they learn in the first 90 days, 180 days and and really setting realistic expectations. So, you know, there's all sorts of uh, advice, good, bad and otherwise, I would probably advise you that if you don't meet the minimum requirements, and you're getting frustrated, because you're not getting called, probably not getting called because you don't meet the requirements for the job. What do you think, Nick? <laughs> it is probably not going to surprise our listeners that you and I are fairly aligned in this case. And so I do, because I've worked and both my current company and all my former companies have been OFCCP regulated, that's a big piece, right? And so if I start considering candidates that do not meet the minimum requirements, I am required by law to consider all candidates that do not meet the minimum requirements. I do not have that kind of free time. But I think one of the questions that I would think about if I'm a candidate is, what is the target? So, for example, if you're targeting a company that is OFCCP regulated, right, that's less likely that you're going to have success. If you're targeting a smaller organization that likely doesn't have robust internal training um, to get you ramped up, also less likely to, to move forward. If you're applying to a position with an agency like Mitch, right, companies are hiring recruiters and headhunters like Mitch for um, highly skilled roles. They're not typically reaching out to Mitch to ask him to pay tens of thousands of dollars for a candidate looking to get into a, a field. We can generally do that internally, right? But if you're looking at a larger company, if the market is you know, in the candidate's favor, maybe take the, the chance. Another question I would ask is how many viable jobs do you have to apply? So if there's you know, 400 jobs that you don't qualify for and you're blasting out emails and, and applications, I don't know that that's gonna get anybody success. If there's one or two at a specific company that aligns with your interest for very specific reasons such that you can take oodles of time to really craft that sort of bridge as far as how can the skills I've acquired in this other role translate. So I, I just think there's a whole lot of ifs here, but the reality is anyone applying to a job they don't qualify for should be going into that application with the assumption it's not going to end in their favor. And so really just use your spare time extra time. If there's jobs you do qualify for, most of your time into that, and then really use your extra time for those other applications. And so, Mitch, what about the agency perspective, the recruiting partner side? Yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of a, uh, a contrary um, stance here, somewhat. So let's put some context around this. There's been many, 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 many times where a formal job description required a specific uh, advanced degree and the right candidate did not have the advanced degree and the organization did not want to pass on that candidate so that what they did is they went back and retooled the job description because they wanted to be fair from a legal perspective, but they wanted to hire this candidate. Okay. 
Had that candidate been deterred by the fact that job description said you must have, you know, a master's in XYZ, it never would have happened. The difference, though, is that there was a third party involved, us, right? And so we were able to have a conversation outside of the job description to say, what is exactly, what exactly is it that you're hoping this person can come in and do? They told us, okay, this person has done that. Regardless of the degree, this person has done that. So how can they actually be an asset to you despite that degree. And then the hiring manager's like, yeah, I guess you're right. And then HR has to get involved to make it be kosher, right? Make it legal. So there's examples like that all over the place across the course of my career. Somebody, a job description requires seven years of experience. The person had five and a half, okay? Well, maybe the leveling of how they brought them in is different, but they still filled that position with the person that had five and a half years of experience. And so I'm a little on the fence of, of advice I give because if you're applying online, it's talent acquisition or HR's responsibility to look at a resume, look at what the requirements are and decide whether or not they can move forward. That's not their fault. That's their job, your guys' job, right? And so if you're applying on your own directly, chances are that it's going to be few and far between that you do get a, a call if you're not necessarily matching up to what the requirements are. And I say this with respect because think about a talent acquisition professional's responsibility. It's not one function, it's not two functions. Oftentimes it's either half the company or all of the company or a third of the company, different functional areas. They can't be an expert in every single one. And so they are put in a position where, here's what the hiring manager told me, here's what the requirements are, does this person fit the bill or not? And so my advice to people who are applying online is start with the bullseye in mind first. Start with what you truly, absolutely slam dunk are qualified for. And don't get anxious about veering off from that too quickly. You know, we all we often naysay the post and pray of a company posting a job and hoping that the right person is magically going to show up through an application. Does it happen? Sure. Is it fewer and far between, especially the more specialized the role becomes? Absolutely. But as a candidate, make your life a little bit easier. Find the roles that you really, truly are qualified for and apply with confidence versus, you know, the opposite of a post and pray method from a company is a candidate who just spitfires the resume everywhere, hoping that strength in numbers is going to take care of everything. It's just, it's not, it's just not. So I was just going to say that I think the benefit of working with a third party is that they can explain your story from a third party perspective to the organization and have some influence on the decisions being made versus black and white lines from an application coming in electronic. What were yeah. you gonna say, Shannon? Well, I mean, just to play devil's advocate from the other side, most companies will make the majority of their hires from direct applicants. So that's something that is probably a piece of data that most job seekers don't know. Now, to your point, I think one of the big advantages to working with a third party like you is, you know, it really kind of boils down to that whole networking topic that we've kind of talked about once or twice. And a really, you know, you've got some good people in your corner, like a Mitch, who can, with their connections and the work that you're doing, advocate and more clearly explain what somebody's experiences and you know, you're asking all the right questions of hiring managers, like, is this advanced degree really necessary? Like, do they need to? Have, and I'm not super huge on degrees. I think that you can 
for the most part, learn a lot of it through the school of life, right? Even engineers, which I know is controversial, but so I think that there's kind of this happy medium and there's a couple ways that you can go about your job search, I think, depending on the type of role that you're pursuing. Oh, do the lights go off, Nick? That's no, funny. I was like, yeah, funny. Do you have something to say, Nick? So, <laughs> so, so let me clarify. This is not a commercial of why you should work with a headhunter. What I'm saying is that when you don't have any any leveraging your corner of somebody advocating for you other than your piece of paper electronically through the system, it's very hard to have a company think anything other than what they've already written up about the job, about what they think they need. Mm-hmm. And so if you if your only leverage is to apply online, yeah, it's going to be fewer and far between that exceptions are, are made. Now, I want to ask you guys a question, though, because this is your firsthand experience. Have there been times when an application has come through for a position that did not meet the requirements that were stated on the job description, but there was enough meat on the person's resume to say, hey, we should probably figure out how to talk to this person and deal with the rest on the back end. Has that happened? Yes. I would say the first thing I do when I'm reviewing candidates is I look at the candidates that are qualified. Those are the candidates I go after first. When and if there's a situation where either don't have qualified candidates or the candidates that were qualified I've now spoken to and determined they are not a fit for one reason or another, then I will typically turn to those candidates that may not meet the requirements. And I'll kind of add that there's requirements and there's minimum requirements. And the regulations themselves are more on those minimum requirements. So when you see, you know, bachelor's required, MBA preferred, we're talking about the bachelor's, not necessarily the the MBA. And so I think that's a a call out. Another example would be, you know, five, seven years of experience. Maybe you have five doing what the job calls for, but then you were, you know, a waiter for five years before that. Okay. Maybe that time when you were a waiter doesn't translate one-to-one as far as directly relevant, but the reality is the school of life does play a part into it. And the justification could be made, hey, you know, five years of relevant experience and then five of slightly adjacent experience could count for seven. But I do think you've got an uphill battle as far as translating the experiences that you have, particularly when you're shifting industries or or functions. I think it was Terry Gross on NPR that did a show last week. Really, it was about AI and the generation of uh, using AI to generate resumes, which I would honestly not personally recommend. That's my own thing. But one of the things she mentioned doing is asking AI, hey, you know, I'm a journalist. I would like to be a, get a job as a wine taster, right? Wouldn't we all love that job? How could I get that job? What the AI tool actually did was take the competencies that are critical for a journalist, assumed that she had them because she was a successful journalist, and highlighted those that were relevant to that new job she was looking for. What a great way to translate for recruiters how the work as a waiter may actually directly impact your ability to be a customer care representative, right? It may not be obvious, but with that translation, I think there's a lot lot that can be done. I'd say the same for people coming out of the military, right? That's a resume that we recruiters really struggle with because the military uses language that civilians do not. And so if the better they get as far as being able to translate the background and experiences, the better it is to move them forward. I'll never forget. I'll just share this one and then I'll stop talking. I know I'm going off. I talked to one candidate. I did not understand anything in his resume. Uh, he was from the military. This was a warehouse manager position. And when I got him on the phone, I just said, like, you've got the degrees, you've got years of 
you know, military experience, but how does it translate? And he said, Nick, I work in a facility that manages um, $100 million bombs. We have, you know, several hundred of them, you know, three to $4 billion worth of military equipment here. And I'm responsible really for all of it. I mean, I basically ended the interview at this point, right? I mean, it was extraordinarily clear now that this absolutely tied directly into being a warehouse manager. And so we did interview and we did hire him. I think that translation is really a big deal. And Mitch, you're talking about doing it from a third party. Uh, that's one way. I think that's the better way because you're more tenacious than a cover letter ever will be. But that's a big piece is that translation. It's huge. And I was just going to say, if you're not working with a recruiter and you feel like, hey, for the most part, I'm fairly qualified for this role. Maybe I don't have the master's in electrical engineering, but but I've got, you know, a bachelor's in electrical engineering and a master's in industrial engineering, whatever it may be. Can you find some leverage outside of your application through your network? Do I know somebody that works at this company? Do I know somebody that used to work at that company? Do I know somebody who knows somebody who works at that company? It's somebody who's going to vouch for, hey, this guy's really interesting. I would absolutely recommend you talk to him because I know blah, blah, blah. There's your leverage right there. The point that I'm trying to make is that it's really, really hard to stretch and get recognized through an electronic application because in Nick's um, seat, when he gets these applications, he just told you how he prioritizes people that are most qualified I'm going to talk to. And if that doesn't work out, then I'm going to look for those types of people anyways. I'll glance at the people who may or may not be qualified, but I have a decision point there. And do I trust enough that it's actually worth my time to have a conversation? If there's not enough overlap between what I'm looking for and what you are representing that you have done, I don't have a choice but to move on. That's really the reality of this. So when people are frustrated that they're not getting contacted, guys, you're stretching too far or you don't have enough leverage in your corner to establish the credibility that you think that you deserve for that role. It comes down to that plain and simple. Or you're not highlighting the results of what you have accomplished very well. Like I, I've looked at a number of resumes in my career, just a couple. And as I look at some of them, I'm like, you know, I'm having to like piece together from my own experience what you've probably done, but you're telling me about your company and the story of your company versus the results of what you actually achieved, right? And then this is a very results oriented role that you're applying for. So think about, you know, that as well. And, you know, on the other side of things, I have certainly had times when, you know, my hands were a little bit tied where I've had some very unreasonable requirements for jobs or my team had really unreasonable requirements for a job. And, and I have straight up told hiring managers, hey, this job is unfillable with these parameters put on them. And sometimes I have to let them fall on their sword a little bit. And so I see those resumes that don't meet the requirements and, you know, kind of whirl them away. And then that way I'd be like, hey, what about this person? Because they have done the work that you need to get done at a very high level, but they don't have this certification or this advanced degree or, you know, this 16 point requirement that you need for um, this specialty engineer, but they've worked on more advanced products. So, and that's a great point too. I think there's a responsibility internally to say, are we being realistic? You know, based on, based on the traction you get on this search, are we being realistic? And that's a whole nother conversation that I think we've had in the past, but we should really have again for the future of the show is the backbone that talent acquisition or human resources needs to have. And where does that confidence come from when you're working with positions that are not your expertise? But your expertise is how to recruit people into the organization. And that confidence needs to be exuded when you're working with a hire manager that really doesn't know how to hire. 
sure we all have been there and how it's really you need to help that person down a path that's actually going to get them the success that they want. But guys, any last bit of thoughts? I think that the takeaway here today is that there's a happy medium. I wouldn't necessarily say that job requirements should be 100% deterrent, where it's like straight arrow. If you meet these, great. If you don't, you don't. I wouldn't necessarily say that somebody who is not even close should still apply anyways. That's not what we're saying here. There really is a happy media. But any final thoughts that you'd like to add on, on the topic? Yeah, I think a slight tangent to this topic, but still very related that I think a lot of job seekers get frustrated with because of all of the garbage that gets put out on the internet is that there are these bots that look at your resume and they decline you. Let me just tell you from my experience, I've never met these bots. I don't know that they exist. There's definitely some more advanced applicant tracking systems that can help prioritize a resume, but know that if you unfortunately get that rejection letter, the sad part about it, and I think every recruiter eats it unless their soul has died, but we have to reject more people than we get to hire and we don't like it. It sucks. It always makes me really sad. So I always try to, you know, when I can send a personal email from my, it might be a template, but it's from my email address. So feel free to like respond back when that happens, because I know it's hard. I've been there. I was on the um, we'll call it practice retirement unemployment bus this time last year. And it was really frustrating, really, really frustrating. So don't get discouraged. Yeah. And I would just add to that. I think that's great advice. Most companies have an internal database or a CRM or whatever you want to call it, a talent network. So when when you may get a rejection email, don't hesitate if it's a, a regular email like from Shandon or myself because we do actually reject candidates from our own email, not a do not reply email, but reply and, and just thank you for the, the update. If there's an opportunity to join your talent network, I'd love to join it, right? So that now in the future, as I'm searching for candidates for different jobs, I've got your information. And so that those are going to be a longer term payoff, but it absolutely does pay off because um, recruiters like myself regularly turn to the talent network first. I Every time I open a job, the first thing I do is look at past applicants and people that have joined our talent network, because those are all people that know us, want to work here, right? Why wouldn't I turn to them first? So it's okay to ask for that. And just one quick thing, you might meet every single one of the 57 requirements on a job posting and still get that rejection letter. I know that there are probably things going on behind the scenes, like maybe they're converting a contractor that's already doing the work. You know, I've had to do that. So I tried to send an, a personal email to all of those people that I didn't get the chance to look at. And they might have been highly qualified for the job, but you're converting a contractor. And and I try to like let people know that as best I can, right? Like you're still qualified. You've still got this. Keep going. I'm so glad you said that because I was going to end the show by saying, if you get a rejection and you're super confident that you are qualified for that job, don't stop there. Pick up the phone, send an email, request them on LinkedIn and figure out what's going on. Maybe the talent acquisition person reviewing your resume didn't understand that you were qualified. And it, it wasn't on purpose. They just didn't see what they should have saw in your resume. Either A, shame on you, or B, it's just they truly just didn't necessarily know what they were looking for. Or to Shannon's point, if you were rejected for a valid reason that they filled the job or whatever, don't you want to get that closure, that peace of mind that you weren't accidentally passed over for reasons that you shouldn't have been? So you got to also be aggressive too, where you have in areas where you feel like you have the confidence that this is really your job that you're trying to go after. So is that a black cat, Shandon? Yes, yes, that's my cat, Shuri. She's 
my kittens. She's uh, in snuggle mode. So <laughs> as you've heard purring in the background, that's what's going on. That's awesome. Well, listen, we haven't been together for a while, the three of us. So thank you guys for being here. Guys, if you joined us live today, thanks for being here. If you listen to it back, check out all the episodes on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast, wherever you consume podcast content, some places to give you a hint of where you could do so. Spotify, it's on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it, it's out there. Guys, appreciate you today and your participation. And uh, we'll be back, hopefully, with at least one more episode uh, before the end of the year. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mitch. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.